are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. I'm going to go live on YouTube and while I'm setting this up, Mr. Jim, I'm going to hand the reins over to you. Looking forward to hearing everything and learning from you today. I just hit the uh, screen share, I guess, right? Yes, sir. You got Michael Zuber coming on later. He's another good friend of mine, so he's going to be great. Yeah, he's coming on uh, a little bit later this afternoon. That's the second. So Chris Jackson, uh, who just wrapped up, mentioned him as well. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of, of Michael and his journey through real estate investing, one rental at a time, all right? Uh, But right now, let's talk about Jim Ingersoll. Let's talk about you, man. You have had this journey of real estate investing, right? You're an entrepreneur. You're based in Virginia, right? Yeah, Richmond, Virginia. And um, yeah, I'm full-time. I've been doing this. I went through all the way way through the last down cycle. So I'm kind of curious what's going to happen this time like everybody. And Absolutely. before that, I was in corporate America a long time, Jay. I was a W-2 guy also. Um, so, yeah, I did that a long time. I used to be an electrical engineer and then uh, helped open factories all over the world, including China, which is in the news a lot right now. <laughs> it has been recently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, been, uh, I've been on this hydroxy uh, malaria drug. I've been to China. I've seen the wet markets, and there are some things you just can't unsee. Wow. Um, I'm really glad I don't do that anymore. I was basically an indentured servant without knowing it. Uh, and anywhere my W-2 job told me to go, I went. Yeah. So yeah. We all fall back into that sometimes. I'm at today. Awesome. We, we all are aspiring to follow in your footsteps, right? If we want to. And that was yeah. one of the things we talked about yesterday. Had um, Holly Morphew on. I don't know if you know her, but she is yeah. financially independent, right? And uh, I did not do her justice in introducing her because the W-2 capitalists, we're, we're not seeking financial independence. We're seeking the choice if we want to be financial independent, right? Um, personally, I could be financial independent. I actually love my job. I love training and helping people. And um, But it's one of those things where... One, I get asked this all the time. One, when are you going to punch the... When are you going to retire? And I'm like, I guess when it becomes less fun, right? <laughs> it's just, I make... Uh, the money's there too. So, you know, my, my big why is 300 years of generational wealth. I believe I stole that from, from uh, Taylor Pugh, but having the W2, the steady income is just one more, you know, we talk about multiple streams of income and that's just one more stream of income that comes in that helps. Let me tell you, I've got financial independence, Jay, but, um, so what? I mean, I'm not the type who's going to sit in bed. I mean, I've got to have a reason to get up and get moving every day. So that why does become important. For sure. Absolutely. All right, Jim, I will, I am guilty of this. If I don't hand the mic over to you and let you go, I'm going to sit here and ramble on. So, right. uh, <laughs> one question for you as questions come in, do you, do you have a spot at the end where you want to take some Q and a, or do you I'll take have, them as we go? If we can, okay. I'll, I'll try to watch the chat. If there, aren't, if there aren't too many, I'll be able to grab some of them. And if I miss okay. them, we'll get them at the end. And I'll assist you with that. If I see something come up, I'll Great. give you a, a finger up and we'll, we'll All tackle right. it. All right, yeah. Jim, the floor is yours, sir. All right. 
Hey, uh, hey everybody, Jim Ingersoll. It's really good to be with you, Jay. Thanks for the, the quick intro and all that. We greatly appreciate what you're doing today. I think the timing of doing all this in the middle of a pandemic was brilliant and amazing. And, and I love what you're doing with, with uh, giving as well, because the more we give, the more we all, we all receive anyways. So it's great to be with you guys. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. All right, there we go. All right, everybody should be able to see my screen just fine, and it's uh, really good to be with you guys. I'm going to try to follow some Q&A as we go. Um, so if you've got questions, I'm happy to, to take them. If I catch them, if I miss them, we'll get them at the end. But like I was saying a second ago, my journey really began uh, a long time ago when I went to Rochester Institute of Technology, and I got my degree in electrical engineering. Um, and what that really taught me to do was be a phenomenal employee. I was a great employee for a really long time. I worked really hard for my employers, climbed that corporate ladder, and ended up running a couple of factories, opening up, opening up factories all over the world, by the way. And uh, so that was, that was all good. Um, and uh, Cindy said she also went to uh, school in Rochester. That's awesome. Cindy, I'm from Western New York, but I live in Virginia now. Uh, lots of snow there in Rochester, and I'm happy to be in Virginia. Um, but anyways, they taught me to be a great employee. They didn't teach me anything about compound, you know, compounding returns, ROI, any of that good stuff, of course. Um, but I was a great employee, and I helped open up some factories all over the world. And uh, at one point, I was running two factories, and I had as many as 300 employees uh, in my organization, Okay. And so when people ask me now, like, how is it to manage tenants? How hard is that? Well, let me tell you, managing employees is a lot more challenging than managing tenants. I can manage my rental portfolio very much part-time. All right, let me give you guys this quick disclaimer. Um, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a lawyer. So I always recommend that you consult a licensed CPA um, like Natalie that was on yesterday or a good lawyer for all your legal and tax-related stuff. All of, our, all of the teaching today, case studies, all of that are, are actual case studies, but really I'm using them for educational purposes and not tax and legal advice. So, all right, here's my family, which is cool, right? This is my, my two daughters and their two husbands and my two grandkids and my wife's next to me. But what I, what I like about this photo is that I can say definitively that every person in this photo is participating and in investing in real estate. Now, you might be wondering, like, how can my grandsons, Brooks and Neil, start investing in real estate when, when they're four and six years old? And I want you to be thinking that way because we're going to talk about legacy wealth building a lot today. And we're going to talk about how to do that. And I think you'll, you'll have some light bulbs go off on how you can get your whole family involved. Like my one daughter in the middle of the top row there is a registered dietitian. She's working AW2. So it's her husband, Luke, is a software engineer. W-2. The rest of us are all self-employed at this point. But even my grandkids are, are investing in real estate, and they're doing that through what's called an inherited Roth IRA in a self-directed account. And I'm going to talk a lot about self-directed IRAs. So we can, we can sort of pull some different IRAs together, and we can be a, a, a private lender, for instance. I don't know if you've heard George Antone. Uh, he's a great author. He's going to be on my podcast soon. Uh, but he talks about this concept of like a family bank. And that's one of the things that, that I'm working on. And it's one of the ways that I'm getting my children and my grandkids involved with real estate at a very young age. 
well, we are in the middle of a crazy time. This is a pandemic. So now I think more than ever before, um, we've got to keep our mindset great. And it's a great time, as I always say, your network is your net worth. So it's a great time to be working on your network. So my question to you is, how are you keeping and maintaining and strengthening your mindset while you're in quarantine or a stay-at-home order like we've got here in Virginia? Wherever you're at, what are you reading? Tell me, some of the books, Audible, what are you reading? I know you're participating in this amazing event this weekend that Jay put on, right? This is awesome. This is a great way to do both your mindset and your network this weekend. Connect with others that are on with you. Um, so what are you reading? What are you listening to on Audible? What YouTube channels are you listening to? And really, as I said, um, you've, got to, you've got to engage in this process in a great way. So I said earlier, the more you give, the more you receive. So I want to know, like, what are you grateful for? Are you grateful to be working at home with your kids running around in all the chaos? Are you still able to find ways to focus? I mean, seriously, what are we grateful for? I think a lot of people are spending a lot more time with their families, um, and we're not out shopping and doing all the crazy things that we used to do. Life has shifted. You know, really, now more than ever before, our world has a lot of problems, and our market has a lot of challenges. I think we're going to have a dip, and I'm hoping that creates a lot of great buying opportunities. Man, I'd love to go out and buy some apartment complexes later this year if we get that dip, wouldn't you? So the question for all of us is, how are we going to solve them? If we get that dip, are you ready to go? I just uh, heard Chris and Jay talking about liquidity. So important to have cash on hand. Um, but if, you, if, you, if you're at the point where you don't have that cash on hand, then you've got to have access to cash. You've got to have access to deals. And you can do all of that through your own network. I'm seeing all this stuff coming through. Uh, Trevor said, uh, oh, Trevor, how you doing? Don't never split the difference with Chris Voss. Um, one of my favorite books for negotiating that I've ever read, Trevor. I'm really glad you, you uh, mentioned that one. Chris, I've met and he's an awesome guy. So here's my question. What lane are you in? I want to know like who, who is on with us today and what lane are you in? Are you an active income W-2 employee? That isn't on there. I'm sorry, but that's good in this group, right? Um, are you the realtor commission person? Are you a wholesaler looking for assignment, please? Are, are you flipping? Um, or are you really just a passive person building that rental portfolio for your true wealth building? Are you already a private lender? Are you investing in notes? And you might be in both lanes, or maybe you're passing or transitioning from one lane to the other, and that's all good as well. So I talked a little bit about my podcast. I said I've got George Antone coming on soon, but one of the ones that impacted me last year was Tom Berry. Tom is an investor out of Houston who did really well timing the apartments um, cycle and uh, did really great. So he bought them at the very bottom and he started selling them over the last, uh, I'd say, 12 months. And he's done extremely well. And I remember him during this podcast saying, Jim, the sooner that we can stop worrying about making more money and start focusing on building wealth, the better off we'll be. And that's kind of like the, the message that I want to get to all of you guys today as well. Jen Wells said, Chris has a master class on negotiation. That is true. And uh, that I have met Chris uh, at one of his seminars and it was awesome also, Jen. So I do recommend everything Chris Voss. So today I'm going to talk about joint ventures. If you've never heard of a joint venture, it's like, it's similar to a partnership, 
but it's like where people have different skills and different needs um, come together to joint venture and build up some equity and cash flow together. And it's all focusing on other people's money. And I'm going to give you the details of how this works. And I'm going to share with you some case studies that I've actually done uh, with joint ventures. But, you know, normally when we go to the bank, <clears throat> what kind of financing do you get? You know, you might get debt financing, right? That's what it's called. So with debt financing, if you're doing a commercial loan, which a lot of commercial lenders, by the way, are on pause right now. Have you guys seen that? And, and uh, as far as like um, conventional financing and FHA financing, all that stuff's gotten a little different. They're changing the underwriting and stuff. So you got to be aware of that as well. But you get debt financing and you agree to take a promissory note and a mortgage or a deed of trust and that gets recorded. And that says every month for the next 20 years, you're going to make this payment to the bank on the first of every month. Here's the amount, here's the interest rate, and these are all the terms of the debt financing. You can't go to the bank and say, I really only want to make a payment to you when I collect rent. Imagine that. How about this? Are you guys in a market where these, these crazies are out there talking about rent strikes and all this stuff? They want to almost like unionize tenants right now. And by the way, we just had 20 million people apply for unemployment. So hopefully your rent collections are good. But imagine like if you just bought a single family house and it takes 60 days to to get it up to speed really nice and, and it takes 60 days to rent it. You can't go to the bank and say, all right, I'm not going to start making you a payment until I collect rent in 90 days. But with a joint venture and with equity financing or without a bank at all, you can do that. And that's why this is a nice, safe way to do it. And I'm going to do a uh, focus today really on doing this in a tax-free environment. So I want to talk about taxes. And I know Natalie was on yesterday and, and so on, but you guys have probably seen the magic penny, right? You flip it, you double it 30 times, and it goes from a penny to $5.368 million, right? It sounds so easy. It's so easy to, to double it those, those first 15 or 20 days, but then it gets a lot more difficult because the numbers get so much bigger, right? So when you do that and you get that compound interest working, you go from literally a penny to 30 flips later, 30 um, days later to $5.368 million. It's a lot of money, right? A lot more than we ever thought. They didn't teach me this in engineering school, anything about compound interest. All right, so, but what if the IRS gets their hands into that basket? Let's say you're just at the 28% uh, tax bracket. What really happens as you, as you double that penny every day if you've got to pay taxes on it? Because that's real life. People love that magic penny thing. They don't tell you about what happens with taxes. They don't tell you about what happens with all your mutual fund fees and all the other little uh, Pac-Man fees that eat away at your profit either. Uh, but if you're paying 28% um, tax on that, you're not going to have $5.36 million. You're going to have $67,658. Don't believe me? Do the math. I challenge you to do the math. I'm a math and science guy. Go back there and do it. So my question to each of, each of you guys, if you're trying to build wealth and you want, do you want $5.3 million or $67,000? Just, just remember this visual. The IRS, all spelled out, spells theirs. Did you catch that? Theirs. T-H-E-I-R-S. There is a reason they have those initials. Because when they're in your pocket and you're paying that 28% tax, even when you're wealth building, even when you're investing in real estate, 
um, they will get their chunk. How do they get their chunks? They love things like depreciation recapture, right? So what else could you do? Like if you, let's say you own an apartment complex and you own it for 10 years and all of a sudden you've got a lot of equity and you want to you want to move it, what can you do? Well, there's two or three things you can do. You could do a 1031 exchange and you could take that apartment complex and move it into, into a different asset, right? You could also do opportunity zones. I heard Chris talking about that a little while ago. OZs are a great, a great tool as well, right? But what if you could do it entirely in a Roth IRA? A Roth IRA, if you'll just picture like a tax-free checkbook for you and your next generation, meaning your legacy and your kids and your grandkids, like the picture of my family I showed you a minute ago, you'll get to see the power of a Roth IRA. And let me just show you kind of how that works. Let me ask you this. Now, many of you guys have jobs. You're W-2. You may or may not be uh, changing jobs this year. Uh, hopefully, y'all are still working. But is your retirement account set up so that you could buy a house or apartments um, outright with no debt, no leverage, and just sit back, collect cash flow and equity growth tax-free? Or is your 401k at a Fidelity, a Vanguard, or something like that, where they really force you into that little box, that little box that says you have to invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, that's it. Even though you're an excellent real estate investor, you cannot invest your own retirement in apartments and houses. This is actually a quad that I did last year. Um, which I really like. So I like it. So, but you might be thinking, all right, well, I've got a 401k. Um, it's at Vanguard or wherever, uh, but I can't do anything with it. I can't do any real estate with it. And by the way, I don't have enough money to go out there and buy apartments with it anyways, right? Because it's hard to save your way to enough to buy something big without a loan. And we all love leverage and debt financing anyways, but what about this? What if you had $100,000 in your 401k? This is a single family home that I bought the end of 2019. I paid like 70. We've got maybe 100 into it. Rented it at $1,200 a month. So the rent to price ratio is like a 1.2%. That's okay. And it, and it did appraise at 150. So I've got equity. I've got nice rental coming in. And if you had $100,000 sitting in your account, you could do a deal like this in many um, markets across the country, right? But what if, what if you don't have enough money in your account to go out and even do this deal, let alone apartments or self-storage or anything else that you're looking at? Is it possible to apply leverage, one of the most beautiful things that I absolutely love about real estate, but do it in a tax-advantaged IRA, like a Roth IRA, or even a traditional IRA, or maybe a health savings account, or is anybody saving for their own kid's college? I put both my kids through school. I've already done that, right? But a lot of people are trying to figure out, like, how can I save enough money to put my kids through college? So is it possible to apply leverage to invest in houses and apartments in a tax-advantaged IRA? That's where I go back to this chart again, because this can be done between two different IRAs. So say you, you've got a, say you've worked wherever you're at, Capital One or wherever, for many, many years, and you don't plan to change jobs, you know, you could still open a brand new IRA. You could open a brand new account, 
And you could do that uh, at a self-directed self custodian like Quest Trust or Equity Trust or Advana or wherever. There's a bunch of them. But the problem is when you open a brand new account and you're limited to, to investing like, you know, making contributions of like, say, five, six, eight thousand dollars $8,000 a year, it would take you a long time to save up enough to go out and buy a house or go out and buy an apartment. So what if you were to start with $1,000 in a brand new Roth IRA? How on earth can you invest starting with $1,000 in your self-directed Roth IRA to go out and buy something that costs a couple hundred thousand dollars? This is where the beauty of being a joint venture and really focusing in on equity financing comes into play. So you've got like a really small IRA right here, okay? But what if you were to uh, joint venture with somebody that's got a much larger IRA over here and you guys were to share the cash flow and to share the equity upside later when it's sold? That's in essence what a tax advantaged joint venture looks like. And I know a lot of people have never heard about joint ventures, but I'm going to show you um, all the details on how it works. All right. So I'm going to show you today how joint ventures work for tax-free wealth building so that you can keep that $5.4 million and you don't get stuck with the $67,000 because you're paying a lifetime of taxes on it. I'm going to show you, I'm going to talk through a little bit about investment criteria. I'm going to introduce you to the two people in a joint venture, one being the real estate entrepreneur, the number two being the financier, and maybe you're in position to be both. I'm going to talk a little bit about due diligence, due diligence of people, due diligence of the deal, uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about cash flow and what the returns look like, and we'll do all that with some um, for, uh, case studies thrown in. So Ross said, uh, how can you use 401k funds for REI? Well, you can, but you can't do it if you're at like Vanguard or somebody like that. So if you change jobs, and when you change jobs, your account typically gets sort of stranded. Then you can easily transfer those funds like some of the people on the call today have done. Um, you can roll them over to a self-directed IRA custodian. And once it's there, you can go out and buy those properties. Now, if you've been working the same job for a long time and you're happy with your W-2, like Jay was saying earlier, Maybe what you want to do is open a brand new Roth IRA with a self-directed custodian like Quest Trust Company and just open it with $1,000 and then um, work with somebody else who's got a larger account and do some joint ventures. It's a way to grow tax-free wealth, okay? There's a couple ideas for you. So these are some ways that you can combat the negative effects of taxation. I'm not saying people shouldn't pay their fair share. I really believe in paying my fair share of tax, but when you've got probably the best gift that Congress has ever given us, which is the Roth IRA, why not find a way to use it to do what we do best as real estate investors? Why not? Why not put those funds into an account where we can, we can grow the uh, account from a very small account to a very large account completely tax-free? You know what I mean? Why not do that? So there's a couple ways to do it. You can do it with a traditional IRA. You guys uh, with 401ks are typically traditional um, in nature in that you fund it with pre-tax dollars. But then when you pull the money out, you got to pay taxes. That's fine, uh, but it isn't what I like to do. 
And if I'm going to gift this and have this as like a legacy piece of my life, and I don't really plan to spend my IRA anyways, then why not grow it um, completely tax-free and then basically hand the Roth IRA to your next generation, which will essentially be a tax-free checkbook for them. Okay. So you got to think in terms of your legacy here. So you got to say which is best for real estate, traditional or Roth, and which is the best for your tax-free wealth building for your future and really for your legacy. It's more than just about us, right? Because I know everybody that's on this session today has big goals and you guys are going after big things. So I know that it's more than just about us, okay? It's about our legacy. Now, you actually can do a lot of accounts um, that can be used for real estate. Once you pull them out from like a Vanguard or somewhere like that where they say you only can do stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Hey, the stock market went up a lot again this week, right? Especially yesterday and even closed really high. That's great, but man, it's really quite a roller coaster lately over the last couple months, right? And uh, for me, I do real estate better, so I like to focus everything in real estate. So. These are some accounts that you can use to invest in real estate. You can do a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA. If you, uh, if you have employees, you might want to do a SEP or a simple IRA. You can also do a solo 401k. You can do an educational account or a health savings account. Actually, being self-employed, one of the challenges is health insurance. So I'm going to give you an example of how I used a health uh, savings account in a few minutes. So what's holding you back? from investing tax-free? Well, first of all, most people have never even heard of this. Only two to 5%, less than 5% of all the retirement dollars in our country are self-directed. That is a multi-trillion dollar opportunity for you to teach other people how this works to be your joint venture partner. Now, a lot of people are gonna come back and say, well, my, my small dollar IRA, I would love to buy a house, but there's not enough money in it to go out and buy apartments a self-storage unit, an office building, or even a single family home. I get that, guys, I understand. So why not leverage? We leverage every day with commercial loans and you know all these other debt financing vehicles anyways. Why not learn to leverage a small dollar IRA with a large dollar IRA in a joint venture to grow all of that tax-free completely so you don't even have to file a tax return when you're investing in a Roth IRA. See what I mean? So it doesn't matter uh, with regards to like depreciation recapture. It does not matter. If you're in a Roth, it's literally the, the distributions are tax-free forever. So joint ventures really allow everyone to enjoy wealth creation, cash flow in a tax-free environment or tax-advantaged account but it really requires a big shift in your thinking. So I want to uh, erase everything that you, th that you think you know or don't know and start with teaching you how this works. Let me ask you this. Would you invest in a rental portfolio, single family or apartments, which do you guys like better? Um, if you could leverage that finance without an interest rate, how about without a mortgage payment? How about with no points? How about no appraisal? How about no credit report, no underwriting, no bank, no loan officer, no cash? Would you like to invest that way so that you only make a payment out of your rental account when you receive rent? See, it doesn't have to only be tax-free. 
This could be in a tax advantage account or not. Either way is okay. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to just fire your bank to sort of hit the pause button on commercial lending right now? It's like locally our commercial banks are <laughs> bank is a four letter word. I love that. <clears throat> um, yes, it is. <laughs> so right now our banks have like commercial lenders have like hit pause on refis for investors. They say they're focusing a lot on these PPP loans, but that just ran out of money. So it's going to be interesting next week to see if they open back up with commercial loans or if they're just getting a little skittish on the market. So in a typical joint venture, there are two main parties. One is the entrepreneur or the real estate investor. For most of us on the, on the session today with Jay, that's us. Um, some of us, though, have money sitting in a 401k then maybe you would want to joint venture with someone else who has the deal. See, the entrepreneur puts the deal together. They source the deal. They negotiate it. They get it to contract, take it to closing, do all of the work. And the financier, all they do is inject capital and then receive mailbox money every month. Let me show you how that works. So here's the duties of the real estate investor or the entrepreneur or the W2 capitalist investor. They find, negotiate, and buy the house or apartments, and typically they're a good discount home buyer. So I hope all of you guys are already good discount home buyers. You're, you're not going out and paying full price for houses and apartments, right? Nobody's doing that. You shouldn't do that. Um, and I think there's going to be a dip coming up that's going to have some really great deals as well. The real estate uh, investor, entrepreneur, investor does all of the planning, all the work to rehab the house. My goals when I'm rehabbing a house to rent or apartments to rent is no maintenance for five years. Does that help my NOI? What do you guys think? That's my goal. So I don't want to just like sort of just hit the surfaces and, and get it rented out. My investment criteria is that I want a nice property to attract the right tenant in that we can do that on. And then they're going to, um, they're, so the real estate investor will go out there and do the rehab. They'll uh, either connect with a property manager or do the property management themselves. Which do you guys like? I like doing the management myself personally. It's my preference, but you might want to use a property manager and they will go ahead and ongo uh, all the management of the property ongoing as far as the interaction with the tenants, taking care of maintenance and all that they'll take care of. Then all they'll do is disperse the monthly cash flow. They'll collect, uh, keep the money for the taxes and insurance and there is no mortgage. So unless you collect uh, cash flow in the form of rental income, you have no payment due. So Miriam said, can I leverage an, a Roth with personal savings? The answer to that is no. You're going to have to leverage it with somebody else's money, OPM, or what I like to say is OPI, other people's IRAs. So there are some prohibited transactions and things you got to learn about. Uh, Miriam, that's a really good question. So the real estate investor, the entrepreneur will buy the asset um, without using a bank and without needing a line of credit, by the way. And I do think there are some great strategies for lines of credit. Um, they're going to get all of the money they need to do uh, the entire rehab. And I like to get all of that up front at closing. And I like to get enough also for utilities, uh, everything, right? And then there's no payments out until I collect rent also. All of this is done with OPM and OPI, which other people's money and other people's IRAs. And the entrepreneur does all of the work. The equity financier, by the way, is completely 
passive. Isn't this nice to be able to participate in a real estate deal without doing any of the work? No tenants, no toilets, no dumpsters, no evictions, which are a challenge these days anyways. And they're totally passive. And it could be somebody in or out of a Roth IRA. Typically, it works really well if it's in a Roth because it's all tax-free. Tax-free wealth building is what I'm focusing on today. The financier does no work. He doesn't have to find the deal, doesn't have to source the deal. It's typically somebody who wants to invest or participate in real estate, but doesn't have the ability to, to analyze a deal, find a deal, negotiate a deal, close a deal, get it occupied. All they really do is review the deal, send the funds to closing, and then receive mailbox money every month that rent is collected. And then someday when the equity, when the property is sold, then they receive a portion of the equity above their investment um, at that point. So now some of you are thinking like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to find the deal? Some of you folks are like, I'm having trouble finding good deals the market's been really strong the last few years and deals have been more challenging. But I, like Jay was saying a little while ago, I do think there's a dip coming. So if you can buy near that dip, your, your deals should be get better. Or maybe you're on the other side of this thinking, all right, I've got money in my 401k. I've got money in an IRA or a health savings account or wherever it's at. But I can't find somebody that can participate with a strong enough deal who really understands real estate, put the deal together. A couple of days ago, I was on a Zoom call and I was taking questions like you guys are bouncing in questions now. One person asked me, how can I find a reliable person with character that can put together good deal sourcing? And then a minute later on the same Zoom call, somebody said, how can I find somebody to act as my financier in a deal? It's like both of you guys, both groups, both sides of the table are searching for each other but they're having trouble finding each other. So that always comes back to, for me, is your network is your net worth. And then right now during our coronavirus, like how are you challenging your network? If you need deals, how are you challenging the people finding your deals right now? If you need financing for your deals, how are you challenging them? It's a good time to always be challenging your network, especially right now. So let me take you through a case study because case studies um, will show you exactly how the money comes in, how the money goes out, and all of that. Nicholas said, how can we network with everyone in here? Is there a way we can connect during the breaks? Um, I'll let Jay take that one, Nicholas, but I think one of the best ways to do it really is through his Facebook group, uh, the W2 Capitalists. I think it's a great way to go out there and find other people. I would just post into his group and say, hey, this is Nicholas, and I'm looking to connect with other people that are, that are um, on the summit this weekend. And then hopefully a whole bunch of people will respond, right? Um, so yeah, just put your contact info in there, Nicholas. That's a great question. So let me tell you about this house. This house is in a cul-de-sac in Richmond, Virginia, but when we bought it uh, five years ago, it wasn't in a particularly good area. Um, it was over near the VA hospital and it was a HUD foreclosure or something like that when we bought it. But it was a big house, it was four bedrooms, you can see it's a tri-level. And uh, we did this with equity financing in a joint venture. And when we structured it, again, this is like creative deal engineering for those of us that are engineers. We said, all right, we're not gonna get a mortgage, um, but I'm gonna share the rent and I'm gonna share the upside equity in this asset 50-50. And that'll get shared between the entrepreneur the investor and the equity financier, okay? All right, thanks, Jay. So 
in this case, the five, let me take you back in time just a little bit. Five years ago, I'd been struggling pretty bad with my hip. And uh, for about a long time, like 10 years, I'd been limping and my hip was literally wearing out. And I knew that at some point in the next couple of years, I was going to have to have a hip replacement. Anyone else ever had a joint replacement? It's not real fun. But anyways, I knew that was going to be coming up. And being self-employed, one of the challenges is your medical, right? It's very expensive every month. And you have like, I had, I think, a six or $7,000 deductible on my HSA. And so I could have paid that uh, post-tax, but I really wanted to do a pre-tax and I really wanted to invest um, in a tax-free environment. So what I did is I took my health savings account and I opened it up with like $1,000, okay? So I call that like the small dollar starter account that I was talking about a few minutes ago. All of us can do that. You can do it in a Roth, you can do it in a educational savings account. But in this case, I wanted to pay for my high deductible tax-free because it's a lot cheaper if I do it that way. And uh, so what I did is I went out and I found that house that I just showed you a second ago. And I wanted my health savings account to, to buy it. But the problem is my health savings account only had a thousand bucks in it, right? So that, would, that happened to be enough to cover my earnest money deposit, which was probably 500 bucks. So I put this house under contract in the name of my health savings account for probably a $500 de uh, deposit. Go ahead, Jack. We've got a couple of questions that popped into the Q&A piece. Right. Uh, Christopher Linger asked, my wife and I have military TSP, which I understand is the uh, equivalent to corporate TSP, America yeah. 401k retirement plan. Can those be transferred to self-directed RAs? Can we use a self-directed RA in our name to purchase a property in the business, our LLC name? So two questions well, there, right? First, the TSP question, thanks for serving in the military. I mean, everybody who does that, I mean, I have so much gratitude for all of you. Thank you. I would call, um, if it were me, I would call like Quest Trust and ask for an IRA specialist and ask them that question. I've had it before and I think, I think you might be able to, but I'm not 100% sure because unfortunately I never served in the military. So I would call somebody to get that clarified. What was the other one? The other one was, can you purchase, uh, can you use a self-directed IRA that's in, their, uh, in his name to purchase a property that's in the business or LLC name? You got to keep everything separate. The government doesn't want you commingling your funds. Just like with an LLC, you don't want to commingle your LLC with your personal funds. And the same thing with an IRA. This is a great gift Congress gave us, but they don't want you like commingling stuff. So I would uh, be very careful with that. Now you can, there, I use trust with my IRA. I've got it like checkbook control and all that, but that all gets to be a little more advanced as well. So I'd be a little cautious of that. And a few more, Jim, if I can just interrupt you real quick. Jen yeah. Motes asked, can you use a HELOC money to fund a self-directed RA? Well, yeah. I mean, you could do your, you can make your contribution from anywhere. So, you know, but you're limited to like $6,000 a year in a contribution. That's not a bad way to get it started. And then from there, you've got to leverage with somebody else's IRA to get yeah. a deal like this one going. Good question. You guys are really thinking. Yeah, it was very interactive group last couple of days. Um, Good. Two, two other things. Pia Pool asked, is there an advantage for pursuing HUD foreclosures? Well, I think there's going to be, Jay, at some point. 
I mean, think about all the people that are unemployed right now. I happen to think some of the best um, deal opportunities, I may talk about this in a little bit, is going to be with burned out landlords. You know, not professional landlords like your crew, Jay, but like people with one or two or maybe a doctor that gave it a try um, that's just going to get really frustrated in our current environment. So I do think there's, I think foreclosures are going to come back a bit. And I do think there's going to be great opportunities with burned out landlords. Absolutely. I think burned out landlord is going to be a huge yeah. hashtag in the couple coming months. And then the last one, and then I'll back away again. Uh, Lupe, uh, Lupe asks, aren't HS, HSAs only for medical expenses? Yeah, they Health are. Savings. That's why I was, I was leading up to the fact that I had to have a hip replacement, which really sucked, Jerry, but... I bet. I bet. My deductible piece of it's even, you know, bad too. It's like six thousand bucks or seven. Um, yeah, they've got to be used for qualified medical expenses, but it's a pretty liberal um, number of things that you can do. So I would I would encourage everybody to look into that. That's a great question. But it's there's a lot more you can use it for, from glasses to you could probably use it for medical marijuana if you wanted nowadays. Wouldn't surprise me at all. So there's a lot of things you can use it for. It's a really good question. I'm glad you guys are, are tuning in and, and giving this some thought because it is a paradigm shift. All right, so my HSA wanted to buy this house, but it only had $1,000 in the account. So you think, how can an HSA with 1000 bucks buy that house? Well, the way that I did it is I joint ventured with somebody else's Roth IRA. So they brought all of the money in and my HSA bought the house, and I'll show you how it worked. So this house back then, uh, we paid $70,000 for this four-bedroom house in the cul-de-sac. Sounds nice that it was in a cul-de-sac, but believe me, it was not a particularly nice area. Um, we've spent $22,500 on the renovation, so we're all in about ninety-two. And when we bought that house, the ARB, ARB means, uh, you know, the after repair value. As an investor, you always look at that because you want to have equity day, the day you buy. I don't like paying full price for anything, even if I'm at the mall. I hate shopping at the mall anyways, but I like everything on sale. So we had some equity day one, so we thought. And uh, we actually rented this one because of the neighborhood. <clears throat> we did a four-bedroom Section 8 voucher at $14.25 a month, okay? And we had the same tenant in there for four years, and we sold it when she moved out. So we didn't have any turnover. The taxes in, in Virginia are pretty reasonable. They were $1,300 a year, roughly, insurance $650. So the taxes and insurance piece of this was like $164 a month, um, meaning we had a net cash flow of about 1000 bucks a month, roughly. Remember earlier I said I wanted to be able to cover my hip replacement, which was like 6000 bucks. See, I was kind of backing into that number. You should always invest with the end in mind. And my, end, my end in mind was like a year from now, I wanted to go from like 500 bucks in my HSA to like 6,000. And I did that by taking half of that cash flow every month for a year. Let me show you how it worked. So it's 1080 a month. That means um, each of us, my health savings account and the Roth IRA that I joint ventured with got 540 a month. We shared the cash flow net, net, net every month, 540 a month. That means my health savings account generated almost $6,500 a month, and so did the Roth IRA that I partnered with, okay? They were both accumulating wealth completely tax-free um, through those years, over those number of years. So that's how we did it. So the total investment, just to go back through this again, was 92.5. We sold it last year. Uh, I told you when we bought it, I thought it was worth like 135. 
Well, four years later, it had gone up another $20,000. You guys seen a lot of appreciation in recent years? It helps, doesn't it? So uh, we actually had a nice equity gain. And I'm not including like uh, closing costs and I'm not including commission and things like that. So numbers are off a little bit, but it's for um, understanding more than it is saying what a great deal or not a great deal it is. That created about $62,000 of gross equity above investment. See the 155 minus 92? So how did, how did that break out? I showed you how we shared the cash flow, but how did, what happens with all the equity that we really created out of thin air? Starting with a $500 deposit out of a $1,000 account. How does that get shared? Well, half of it got injected into my health savings account. Half of it went to the Roth IRA. So you can see in a matter of four years, um, what happened to my small dollar HSA that started with $1,000 and was accumulating $500 a month of cash flow for four years. And then at the end, when we sold it, all of a sudden we captured another $31,000 tax-free. No, no, uh, with the health savings account, you don't, you don't even do a tax return. My point is this, like, if you have the ability to buy property assets that create cash flow and equity, and you're good at that, why not do some of those deals in a tax-free tax account? So again, it was like $6,500 uh, a year coming in. Um, we share all that. And basically, both parties, the health savings account and the Roth IRA, the joint venture together, each made close to $57,000. So in four years, my health savings account went from like 1000 to, well, you can see it's a lot of money, 57000 You got a question there, Jack? I do. I, I well, personally, I didn't know you could do this strategy. This is freaking incredible. Um, the Cindy asked a question, were you the person who found this deal? It's more along the lines of why did y'all agree to a 50-50 split share if you only put in a thousand, thousand bucks? Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of value, Cindy, in the person that brings the deal to the table. I really do. So in this case, the person that I was joint venturing with um, wanted to participate in real estate, but they don't have the ability to source deals. They don't have the ability to negotiate. They don't have the ability to do the rehab. They don't have the ability to manage the property either. So my point is that I brought a lot to the table um, and I wanted to do it in a tax-free account. So I did it in my HSA. But that's a good question. Like, why, why would somebody else joint venture with me um, and give me 50%? It's because I, it's my deal. I was the deal maker in this deal, Cindy. And without me, that Roth IRA would have just had the money sitting in their account forever, making nothing. So it's a good question. But what did the Roth get? Like, what did my joint venture partner get out of that? actually a really strong double-digit ROI. Now, it might not be a great ROI for all of our real estate investors that are used to getting, you know, maybe you guys get a lot more than this, two, three times this. But for somebody that's just got money sitting in an IRA with no investments, a 12.8% deal is strong, okay? I would like deals at 12.8. I would take them all day long, reliably. Because knowing the rule of 72, like you guys do, you know that deal doubles their investment every 5.6 years. So it is a strong deal for both the IRA and my HSA went from a very small IRA to a very much bigger IRA 
and also paid for my hip replacement tax-free in, in the middle of all that. I, I love it. I, I am, I am it's kicking myself. It's, in, it's very intriguing. I, I wish I would have known this four months ago when I had to re-choose uh, my um, benefits at work. I would have done my benefits total, totally separate. So here in a couple of months, I think we have open enrollment twice a year. Uh, that's going to be changing. A uh, couple more questions came in. Pia Pool okay, asked. Like this, yep. this is, um, but it's a little bit complicated, right? Yeah. I, I felt like, I felt like your crew would, would capture it. Yes. But not every, not every group does. So yeah. So I'm glad you're touching on this point. Flexible with me because it is a little complicated also. And, and got a couple of questions coming in about that. Pia Pool asked, how long does an HSA remain open? Well, it's just like a Roth IRA, so it can, it can stay with me the rest of my life. So as you get older, I mean, you start to think about things like, my God, what happens if I end up in a nursing home, right? So I think it's good to get all that tax-free that you can. Get it in there. And if you don't need it, just let it, let it continue to build. It's all about wealth building. It's just wealth building without, without taxes, and you guys saw, you know, how big that impact is when you can do that. It doesn't have to be in an HSA. Say, say you're young, you're like 30 years old, and you want to start saving for your kid's college. Or maybe you're doing um, private school for your kids. Why not do all of those payments tax-free? You could do this same exact case study in an educational savings account or a Roth IRA. And a little bit of question on the structure of the deal. Does it have to be a 50 split or can you no. do it in percent percentages? Okay. No, it could be 60, 40, 70, 30, 65, 35, anything you want. It's a good question. Great question, Annette. Uh, and then some, some clarity on the 31,000 that went to the Roth RA. Did it go as a contribution? Isn't there a limit to the annual contribution? The profit from an investment does not have a limit. A contribution that you write, like if you stroke a check out of your checking account and send it in has limits. But the investments that you make, now think about it, all of us, Jay, are really good at using leverage every day, but nobody ever thinks like, is there a creative way to structure a deal to use leverage from a small dollar tax-free account? That's sort of the takeaway. Absolutely. Definitely eye-opening for me. Uh, Arma asks, is the procedure the same with a SEP RA, which I'm not familiar with? Are you familiar with a SEP RA? It should be. The key, though, is it's got to be self-directed because everyone likes to sell stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So you've got to be able to get funds into a self-directed account. I like to use uh, Quest Trust. Maybe I can type that in there. But Equity Trust is a big one. Yep. Uh, Matter of fact, we're having a representative from Quest uh, on this afternoon. So, uh, Juan Deshaun, uh, awesome. Juan, yeah, he's gonna, um, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know him over the last couple of weeks. I've got a lot of questions myself. Hey, tell him I just, uh, I know Juan, I was with him online last Saturday. Oh yeah. So, uh, okay. Him, I just like made this so easy for him. You have, I'm sitting here thinking you knew it and you're just keying it up for him to crush oh. it out of the park. So that, that's awesome. It. I caught Super, uh, but I didn't catch. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, Annette has one more question about the paying for school. Can you pay, pay for private school, not college, but private school, I guess, for, for uh, grade school with a tax-free education account? I believe so. Ask Juan in a little while. He'll be able yeah. to answer all those questions yeah. so much more accurately than me. But, yeah, you should be able to. Yeah, 
Back to you. I'm going to go back on mute. I'm going to watch my time a little bit. So anyways, it turned out to be a good deal for both of us. The Roth IRA got a great return, and it was a way for me to get mine going. All right, so there is this thing called a joint venture agreement. Because you guys, I know you're going to soon be asking me, like, how do you handle maintenance? Um, What happens, like, if one of the two partners dies? Or, you know, like, the obscure real life things that are covered typically in an LLC operating agreement and stuff like that. I cover all of that in what's called a joint venture agreement. Actually, it takes the place of a promissory note. Because remember, typically with a bank, you, you, you give them the promissory note, you sign your life away, you do the personal guarantee, all that stuff. But um, with a joint venture, you don't even have a promissory note unless you do like an equity note. So I've got this available and you guys can read through and you can ask me questions, but you can go to my website and download it, investingnownetwork.com forward slash JV. And you can read through that. It's, it's sort of like an operating agreement. It shows like who contributes capital, how often. I've got some people that, that don't even want monthly payments. Could you imagine going to the bank and say, I only want to pay you once a quarter. I've got people, because this is so passive, that they don't want to receive even mailbox money once a month. So they want to receive money like quarterly. So all of that is documented into the JV agreement. You guys can download it and grab it and go through. It's about three pages long. So now this charge, the third time I've shown it, should make a lot more sense. You've typically, in the example I gave, have like a large Roth IRA with a lot of money, no deal flow, and just sort of sitting there. Um, And you, as a real estate entrepreneur, investor, may have like a small dollar educational savings account for your kid's college, a health savings account, or a brand new Roth IRA, and you come together. So the two accounts come together. One provides the financing, one provides the deal flow, and you share everything um, however you want, 50-50, 70-30, or whatever. So I want to talk a little bit um, about investment criteria. Has anybody's investment criteria changed a little since we hit COVID-19? Mine has. I'm only looking for really great deals right now. And I think the better deals are going to be coming like as we, as we come down a little bit. But let's talk about that a little bit. Because a lot of people will say, well, if I can get the 1% rule, which means if I buy it for 100, I can rent it for 1,000, I can make that good cash flow. I want to challenge you to increase that a little bit, given the economics that we have. Same thing with cap rates. I mean, people were buying cap rate apartments on the West Coast for like a three cap which to me never really made sense anyways. Um, So I want to encourage you guys to go after a little bit higher cap rates right now as well. And always make sure that you get uh, equity that first day. Uh, Be aware of what your value adds are and look for gentrification. So this sort of summarizes what I would look for if I'm looking today. The lowest price for the highest net operating income But I want value-add opportunities like fixable problems. It's either got to be horribly managed or I can renovate. And uh, future equity gains from uh, being in areas like gentrification. I think that's sort of uh, what I'm looking for now anyways. So I want to encourage you guys, given the economic situation that we have right now, to fine-tune and uh, pivot your investment criteria just a little bit. So let's talk about finding deals real quick. I I hit on this a few minutes ago with Jay. I would challenge your realtor, your broker, or find some wholesalers that can help you. Or if you're in position, 
to always go out and find your best deals. Your own deals that you can find and source off market will always be, I think, some of your best deals. And as Jay and I were talking about a minute ago, I really think there are a number of mom and pop type landlords that may have one to five houses or some small apartment complexes for a doctor um, that may have been struggling a little bit before this mess hit that are now like starting to panic because they're having trouble collecting rent or tenants are getting unemployed. Their handyman doesn't want to go into a house and do the maintenance right now. They're not really set up for dealing with being a landlord during a pandemic. It's a little bit more challenging right now. And I do think some of those people are going to be great people to buy from. You can find them on Facebook Marketplace, go section8.com is another source. You can do data scraping, find them, call them, or just get a property manager to referral, refer some of them over. All right, <clears throat> I got to start closing up a little bit here soon. So I want to talk a little bit about due diligence because it is really important. It's very, very important. So I want to talk about the deal, the people, and the documentation, those three things. And I gave you guys the JV agreement a few minutes ago. Let's talk about people. I do think there are some syndicators that are going to be in trouble. Those are going to be a whole other set of buying opportunities, by the way. Uh, apparently, uh, Grant Cardone was joking about filing bankruptcy, but we'll see what happens with him and a whole bunch of others. So I do think the people are important. I think if you're going to be... Uh, the person that injects the capital into somebody else's deal, then you want to get references. Talk to them about what deals they've done and how they worked out. Um, always look at the actual facts, the performance of other deals they've done. You may want to do some social media checks. I mean, we do that for our tenants anyways. So why not do it with people we're going to do joint ventures with? Always trust your gut. It's going to tell you the right thing. If you have trouble being a good judge of people, talk to your spouse or somebody else on your team. Talk to them about their experience and what their team looks like. As far as the actual deal, I do think it's important that you find nothing but really good deals right now. Um, you're with enough cash flow to sustain you. I do think it's important you always have equity built into the deal the day you buy it uh, and run those numbers and run those numbers again and then run those numbers a third time if you need to right now. Again, uh, grab the JV agreement as part of the documentation package. Uh, you will always need a mortgage or deed of trust. This little checklist that you're looking at right now is sort of the way that you're going to show people that you're going to keep your deal safe. It starts with the asset because that's the collateral in the deal. The joint venture agreement is going to document how the entire deal is put together and structured. But you're also going to have a mortgage or a deed of trust, depending on what state you're in, filed at the courthouse that will reference back to the property in the JV agreement. I always think it's important to know who prepared the documents, what entities are being used, who's signing the docs. This is all just normal uh, buying real estate stuff and insurance, both homeowners and title for yourself and the, and the person. All right. So I think I've got time for one more case study. What if you're in a market or what if you're, um, you've got just enough in your IRA to buy cheap houses, like a 15 cap type cheap house, okay? Or maybe a mobile home on land. Does anybody do mobiles on land? You guys understand this, so I'm not going to go through this, but it shows like if you have $9,000 gross coming in and you pay 10% to a manager, you have 5% in maintenance, some taxes and insurance. And if you're able to do that and buy that asset for about $40,000, 
your cap rate is 15 to 16. Okay, it's a strong cap rate. Now you might be wondering like, I'm on the West Coast, how am I gonna do that? Well, there are places in Ohio, Indiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, here in Virginia, and other places around the country where you could invest outside of your area if you're sitting in San Francisco right now. Here's actually one that's owned by my Roth IRA, and I did this in a joint venture, okay? I found this because uh, they were a motivated seller. The person that owned it, um, her and her husband owned it together. The husband died, now the wife owned it, and she didn't want to deal with um, being a landlord. So she was motivated. And houses like this typically don't attract great realtors because there's deferred maintenance, it's occupied. The same tenant is, this is a legacy tenant situation. Have you guys ever had that? I have some rentals where I really believe the tenant will probably stay in our property until the day they die. That's the case with this one. So this is actually a house that we did. We got, got it for $40,000, rented it for like $600 a month, and we did a joint venture. You know, I said a minute ago about finding deals, um, even on Facebook Marketplace. This slide's a little out of place, but I want to come back to it because this is a house I bought from Ron in Colonial Heights, Virginia. And this house, when I met Ron and his wife, he lives right behind this house. And you, you may or may not see it, but behind him is about 80 bags of garbage that he had been cleaning out. And when I met Ron, so he's an aging landlord, he's a burned out landlord, he has deferred maintenance, no capital, sick and tired of tenants. And on top of that, he also had surgery, for heart surgery for like a stent like two months earlier. Do you think all those cases led up to him being a highly motivated seller who needed a solution? I said at the beginning, like our marketplace is changing right now. Focus on providing solutions. Um, and you will find them. This is a deal I did direct from seller that I found in Facebook Marketplace. No realtor, no broker, no bank, nobody in between. All right, back to that ranch house. That was a $40,000 investment. And again, uh, we're going to share the cash flow. Comes out to like on a super cheap house, your cash flow is a lot less, right? So if you're only getting $6,200 a year, you're going to you know keep like $3,000 of it um, and do it that way. Now, the problem with cheaper houses is they don't appreciate very quickly in many markets. Unless you're like in an opportunity zone or somewhere where something's gonna happen, like something's gonna come in commercial-wise and change the entire looks of the area. So this one uh, is a house I still own, but we bought it for 40, it's only worth 60. And again, I said my Roth IRA owns this one. And when we do sell it someday, that would only be a $10,000 profit, right? So assuming we did this for four years, I think I've owned it four years already, cash flow um, would be around $22,000 over those four years, and then you get another, I'm sorry, $12,000 and then $10,000 equity um, allows the IRA to generate about $22,000 of profit, both IRAs, okay? So even if you did super cheap houses in you know, low income areas, and you made $3,000 a month, but you did it tax free. Uh, what would it take to do five of those? And then all of a sudden, you'd make $15,000 a year just on cash flow tax free, or 10 of those at $31,000 a year, right? So I just wanted to show that because it's all about leverage and creating tax free wealth building. You can do it with uh, new accounts, health savings account, 
inherited IRAs. I told you earlier, I showed you the pictures of my grandkids. They're involved in this um, at four and six years old without even knowing it. Talked a little bit about that. And Jay, I want to make sure that we get back to questions. So I sort of want to just end right here um, and make sure that we've got all of the questions uh, covered. So what, what do you guys think the hard part of what I showed is and what are the easy parts and what parts are intriguing? Where are you at? Like, where is your mindset at after watching this? Because it is a big shift in thinking. Go ahead, Jay. Um, have I missed any? Yeah, there's a couple that's popping in. Um, first one from Brody Oaks. What is the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, Jay, you know I'm on Facebook a lot. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've got, Brody, um, yeah, I've just, got links uh, to all of Jim's stuff. If you can go to w2capsummit.com, you can links to Jim. He's very active on Facebook. Yeah, you guys um, can email me or whatever is fine. Uh, yep. It's pretty, pretty um, easily accessible. I am, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly at like the Facebook friend limit. Um, oh yeah. So what I do is I, every couple of weeks I delete a whole bunch of friends I really don't know. And then I let new ones in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to do a cleanup every now and then too. <laughs> <laughs> usually, usually I don't have to do it. They do it on their own. I say something that's going to make somebody mad and they unfriend <laughs> me. So it's, it's fine. But, but do you believe uh, in capitalism? That'll I do. Be. I do. Yeah. Uh, Pia Poole has a really good question is how liquid is an IRA for someone with a ways to go until retirement? How liquid is it? I mean, you can always, uh, well, I mean, I don't think you should liquidate your IRA because if you do, you're going to pay a 10% penalty and pay tax on it. So I really think you should think long-term. Let's think long-term like decades or right to your next generation, like with a legacy builder. That's what I really like to, like to do it for. But why not jack up all those returns? And instead of saving your way to retirement, saving your way to your legacy, why not invest in what we all do best, which is real estate? There's creative ways to do it. Uh, Annette Talley's got a couple of questions here on the IRA in general. Does the IRA, in order to use an IRA to invest, does it have to be a self-directed IRA? Yeah, because all of us, like even when I was in corporate America, Jay, I was like a vanguard. That's why I keep saying that. So when I finally quit corporate America or changed, you can do it anytime you change jobs that IRA sort of gets stranded in the plan behind you, okay? And then when you, when you show up at the new job and you meet with HR, boy, this is bringing back some not, some not great memories for me. I love being outside of uh, corporate America. But if you show up and you go through HR, you know, one of the things is they want you to pull that, that 401k forward and put it into the new account. You don't really have to do that. So if you've got like an old 401k from a previous employer, you can then take that and just transfer it to like Quest Trust Company. And uh, from there, you can, you can buy houses, you can buy apartments, you can joint venture, you could be a private lender um, and do all the, th you could invest in notes or anything else that, that you want to do. Yeah. And you've mentioned Quest Trust Company uh, a couple of times. Nick asked the question, what custodian do you recommend? Uh, obviously Quest. Uh, the other one is, um, was it Equity Trust? Equity trust is a big one. Um, there's Advanta, there's IRA services, there's um, all kinds of them. But Jay, I think that the key for me with Quest, I don't have any kind of affiliate with them. Believe me, I'm just somebody who likes them. Right. Is that their customer service is good. So like when I call them, they have somebody that answers the phone. Imagine that. And uh, so their customer service is just way better than everybody else's. And it's easier for me to get my deals funded when I'm with Quest. 
that's that's a pretty good testament. It, it um, is. It does help. And we do have Quest come. Uh, Jay, uh, Juan Deshawn's coming on later yeah. from, from Quest, so uh, that funny. that door to tell you something as well. But uh, Annette's got another question about uh, the income aspect of a self-directed okay. RA. You can only you you cannot use any of the income through a self-directed RA, correct? Not until you're, I think, 59 and a half, which I've got a ways to go for that. But I mean, my perspective is I want to use it for legacy. So I'd really like, personally, I'd like to give these accounts to like my grandkids um, and we'll see how big they are. And then all their distributions will be tax-free. I really love tax-free. I love tax-free. So uh, that's my plan. But yeah, no, you get, when you get older, I don't know what the exact ages are you do get into uh, required minimum distributions and stuff, depending if you got traditional versus Roth. Um, and Juan can answer all those exact questions. And do you have a preference? Nick uh, has got a really good question here about self-directed IRA versus self-directed Roth IRA. Do you have a preference on that? Which one do you I think like is better? I like the Roth. I think it's the best gift our Congress ever gave us. Awesome. Just because it's tax-free forever. All the, all the distributions out, like when you take all the money out of it, is tax-free. So they, all these accounts start with like a seed and they become a tree. I would prefer to pay the tax on the seed than the tree, personally. So I do, I really do like the Roth IRA. And Maricela drops in, assuming that your self-directed RA is making money and you are at uh, the retirement age of, that we believe it's 59 and a half, can you withdraw or pay yourself a distribution? Yeah, in, in some accounts, there are required distributions. I think they're traditional. Okay, that's good mm-hmm. to know. Um, yep. He has got some... And again, guys, I mean, you guys, you guys are into wealth building, but you know you can't easily save your way to financial freedom. But I think the best way to ever do it, there's three ways that I see you can get there. You can, you can inherit a trust fund. I've never done that. <laughs> you can invent and innovate a product, you know, if you're Elon Musk. <laughs> Or you can just buy and hold assets. And that's, you know, it takes time. This is not a get rich quick thing, Jay, as you know. Absolutely. Just buy assets and hold on to them for a long time and you'll get there. Uh, Pia's got another question. Is there a trust strategy uh, you would recommend for someone still in their 20s who would like cash flow? Is there a what strategy, Jay? Trust. I mean, I, I like to use trust. I buy property and land trusts, and then I use personal property trusts because of the asset protection and privacy. And I'm not sure exactly what she's referring to there. Um, but I don't, I don't, I think if you're in your 20s, like my daughters are, that, that you should start investing now. It's, don't wait to get started. And if you can learn how to invest in real estate and then do that in your 401k or your IRA, um, and then you have decades to, to accumulate that wealth tax-free. Imagine that. Jay, can yeah. you imagine starting over at like a super young age? I, you know, I was sitting there thinking, Pia said she's in her, in her 20s. And, yeah. you know, thinking about when I was in my 20s, it was 2006, right? <laughs> we were at, uh, we were, <laughs> and I made a decision then, and, which was wrong. But now, you know, I, you know, I don't know where Pia is at in her investment uh, strategies or where she's at in her holdings. But, you know, this is a perfect time for the next couple of months really diving into learning this stuff and then pulling the trigger, I would say, three to six months from now on your first property. If Pia is already thinking about how am I setting this up in a self-directed RA, in a trust, uh, she is way ahead of the game and 
damn it, you know, I wish I would have been there. <laughs> right. Let me tell you this, TJ, uh, because growing up, my dad was an architect, and he uh, he had a couple of duplexes. And what I watched him do when I was younger is work really hard, just on like three duplexes. He sold those off, and he paid off our family home while working as his W-2. Um, and he made it look so easy that I, I did the same thing. Like, Cheryl and I bought our first duplex when I was like 23. Doesn't that sound great? It looked so good on paper, it was like 20,000 bucks, but it was a disaster because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I failed at everything I did right then. That decision, after we finished that, my wife said, I will never be a landlord again. It took me 10 years to get her back in to start buying property. So I just want to encourage you guys, the key to failure is to get up fast and rebound as quick as you can. If you fall off that bike, you better get back on and get riding and learn what you didn't look, figure out what you didn't know. But back then that was before YouTube and before any of this technology stuff was there. I had no training, no real clue, um, but it cost me a lot of years. And I don't want that to happen to one of your, one of your loyal subscribers here. Absolutely. And I love the fact you brought your wife into it and you guys <laughs> made that mutual decision together. I think that's utterly just one of the most important key points is if you're married, you got your better half. You guys need to be at this as a partnership. It can't be, I'm going to go do this on my own. Um, it just, in my experience, it does not work like that. I don't, well, let me, let me say this. I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't have the support of my wife. Let me put it that way. Same here. Um, one last question, Jim, and then we're up on time. I'm going to let you go. When you use a self-directed RA, the money that comes in and out of that RA can just go into that account, right? And That's then. Correct. If you wait until you're 59 and a half, can you get those disbursements uh, tax-free? Uh, anytime before then, you're going to get penalized plus tax. But when you're using your self-directed IRA, you cannot manage the property yourself, correct? Oh, boy, that's a deep question. Yeah, that, that is true because you can't provide the service. And I'm sure Juan's going to talk about all of the prohibited transactions. There's a list of them you need to learn. But you can't, no, you got to be careful about providing a service. So you don't want to go over to the property and do painting yourself or cut the grass. You guys really shouldn't be doing that yourselves anyways. Right. Um, and really, it's better to work it with a property manager if your account's going to be the one that owns it. It's a great question. Thank you, Annette, for that. And Christopher, that was a two-part question. Skip both of you guys in there right at the buzzard. Uh, Jim, thank you very much. I, once again, I've taken a lot of notes. So I've got uh, a lot of things to, to study up on. And um, actually, I've never thought about Facebook Marketplace as a place to look for properties. But find some deals. I'm going to go find some deals, brother. Good. Thank you, Jim. Enjoyed Bye, it very guys. much. You guys Thanks, reach guys. out to Jim when you need to. We're going to take um, a couple minutes break, but at 1230, Aaron Young is going to come out and talk about a lot of legal stuff. There's always questions. A lot of people have asked questions about can, should I create an LLC, when to, how is it protected? Aaron Young is going to be your guy. He's uh, coming up here in about 14 minutes. So we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be back soon.